This is Overdrive Radio. I'm Todd Dills, and today we're looking at the phenomena of the quote-unquote slow roll. Gathering momentum in recent weeks since the late January convoy of a few dozen trucks rolled north on I-57 in Illinois. To spotlight some truckers call for a shutdown April 12th. Following that, similar events with truckers convoying at slightly less than the posted speed limit, or around the minimum posted, happened in and around Dallas, Texas, in Kentucky, and most prominently last week in Indianapolis, garnering wider participation and somewhat significant media attention to the principal issues truckers are advocating for. According to Indy Slow Roll participant owner-operator Brian Bushnell of Virginia, that's flexibility in the hours of service, training for new CDL drivers, and safety, broadly speaking, with a key emphasis on the captain of the ship's prominent role in it and the need for public investment to help steer it in the right direction, particularly when it comes to parking. The slow roll phenomenon was not built in a vacuum. Truckers have been talking about such a series of events for months now, following suggestions of it from different quarters, including a long post about such an idea from, an, from the independent carrier group Scott Jordan that I saw going around social media last fall. This edition of the podcast features a talk about the happenings with previously mentioned owner-operator Bushnell, that's spelled B-U-C-E-N-E-L-L for the editorial cl- editorially inclined among you. Bushnell and others are taking the momentum from what they call the positive experience in Indianapolis and, well, slow rolling it forward. Bushnell's planning Virginia's slow roll event for tomorrow, Saturday, March the 2nd, with a gathering point the Doswell truck stop on I-85 and similar events following next week, March 8th and 9th, in Ohio and the Carolinas. Bushnell details this Virginia slow roll here. Well, I mean, honestly, it's it's just going to be a convoy. You know, I mean, if, if you don't want to protest, right. you don't want to, you know, if you don't want to stand there holding a sign up there in D.C., you know, this is a great way to come out and meet some truck drivers in your state and, you know, convoy through downtown Richmond. I mean, I, to be honest right. with you, how cool is that? I mean, just a convoy, you know, a bunch of trucks just riding, riding bobtail and with the trailers down through downtown Richmond. Yeah, we're going to start at uh, Doswell Truck Stop, exit 98, um, and we're going to drive, we're going to do this, this uh, state minimum speed limit of 45, um, you know, that it, it helps keep the convoy together as much as possible as well. Um, right. You know, we're going to, we're going to do 45 mile an hour all the way down through, through downtown Richmond, down to exit 48 uh, for locals, that's Wagner Road, uh, shift south to Petersburg, it's a clover relief, so that way we can, we can just you know, loop around the Cloverleaf and start heading right back north, 45 mile an hour, right back through downtown Richmond, right back up to Dosville Truck Stop. You know, and then hang out for a couple hours and then go home. You know, it's just a, right. a Saturday cruise is what, what it basically is. It's all I, I-95, right? We're talking. Yes, sir, I-95. Yeah, I'm just going, going for a Sunday cruise on a Saturday is basically what we're doing. <laughs> well, that, we're trying to get the news out there. Um, we've been uh, we've been in contact with the state police, let them know what was going on. Um, we've contacted the, all the local news in Richmond. We've worked on some of the local news in Hampton Roads, and we're currently working on the news in Charlottesville. So we're trying to get the word out there to everybody in in the surrounding area. As noted, there are likewise slow roll events planning to circle Columbus, Ohio. On March 8th, with truckers meeting at various points around the city, see today's post on the Channel 19 blog for details of contacts and further information. A similar event in Charlotte, North Carolina area, with truckers meeting along I-40 in North Carolina and others in South Carolina. 
It's planned uh, also for March 9th. All of it focused again on adding emphasis to truckers' desire for greater flexibility in the hours of service, foregrounded by the mandate for electronic logging devices that went into effect just over a year ago, issues of the inadequacy of company training regimes, and for more, and for some what's required by law as well, for CDL drivers uh, is another point of emphasis. As always, the shortage of adequate parking also looms large. Bushnell speaks of all of that in the conversation that follows. Much of it is devoted to his account of participation in last week's slow roll circling of Indianapolis, an event that captured perhaps more mainstream and local press attention to some of these issues than any I've seen to date, though not all of a substantive variety. Some of it came from as far away as Tokyo in Japan. As you'll hear Bushnell tell of his own ride-along media passenger during the Thursday, February 21st event, here he is outlining his current operation, running with a 2002 Peterbilt 379, powered by 1990s Cummins N14. Um, yes, I mean I've been been trucking for 10 years now. Um, sure. Owner operator leased on with US Bull, uh, pulling end up a whole lot of. Dirty dirt, hazmat dirt, hazmat contaminated dirt, however you want to call it. How long have you been uh, with with US Bulk? Uh, it'd be three years next month. Was, uh, before before that, this beer for like six months. <laughs> oh um, really? Before that, yeah, yeah. I've always been the type that I, you know, chase the dollar. You know, um, sure. I did frac sand before this, or before this, and then did reefer, and then I came over here to this. You know, just did whatever was paying the most, you know, chasing the money. And, um, at the time this was booming and, you know, I kind of figured I'd be over here for about six months or so, you know, ride out the rest of the boom and it'll be three years next month. So I kind of found the, my fit, I guess you could say. I imagine the, uh, I guess the pay is, uh, is, is plenty and, um, and, and they've got you, uh, getting home enough and, and everything else. Yeah. I mean, they, uh, they, when you're, it pays about a ton, and um, you know when you're hauling hazmat, you know it, it pays more than you know regular general freight like uh, fertilizer or alloys and stuff like that. You know, you, you get a load of alloys that might pay you know forty dollars a ton that goes four hundred miles, but then you'll get a load of hazmat contaminated dirt that you know pay you ninety to a hundred dollars a ton that goes four hundred miles. So, I mean, it, there's a pretty good difference there. I wanted to hear. Um... Here's a little bit of, uh, about your uh, involvement in the in the big uh, Indiana Indianapolis sort of slow roll event last week. That's kind of a I think it was sort of intended as a uh, a kind of way to drive awareness toward um, uh, the, the kind of advocacy efforts that that drivers are putting forth uh, around um, sort of pushback against the ELD mandate and uh, kind of pushing for hours of service flexibility and a variety of other um, uh, regulatory concerns uh, training is a big one um, and wanted to wanted to hear about um, about your uh, you know how the experience was for you but give me a little bit uh, for the listeners anyway I know a little bit of this history already but um, you you have been involved in uh, a variety of events that were um, somewhat similarly designed in, in focus over the last several years, the last couple of years anyway, you know, uh, visiting D.C. and doing advocacy work and, and just kind of being a, 
being a presence at uh, demonstration type events uh, in DC and, and elsewhere, I believe. Back in 2017, I don't even remember the actual date now, when, when Tony and I uh, just started up the, the ELD or Me page. Bushnell there makes reference to trucker and singer-songwriter Tony Justice, who, with then-owner-operator Scott Reed, founded the ELD or Me group. The group morphed then into the Trucker Nation uh, organization, which authored one of the petitions FMCSA highlighted in its advance notice of proposed rulemaking for hours of service change last year. The other uh, was from the Owner-Operator Independent Drivers Association. And that advance notice for rulemaking may see a formal proposal soon, uh, perhaps as soon as this very month. Brian Bushnell lives in Virginia, relatively near Richmond, uh, and mentioned the Doswell Truck Stop in Doswell, Virginia as a potential gathering point for what Justice, Reed, and others uh, in 2017 would eventually plan for October. The push by drivers in the nation's capital then centered on potential delay or repeal of the ELD mandate whose compliance date was coming up at the end of the year. They were talking about trying to uh, find a place to park at, and I, I mentioned Doswell, the Doswell truck stop, and told him that I could try to, you know, try to nail that down for him if, if he wanted me to, and, and he called right. me at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'll never forget it, dude. My, my, my wife was pregnant and in bed, and he thought I was out trucking. He called me at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I was kind of starstruck because, you know, it's Tony Justice, and, I was like, you know, my wife's over there yelling at me, get off the phone, it's 2 in the morning. I'm like, listen, woman, it's, it's Tony freaking Justice here. You're going to calm the hell down. <laughs> if only I knew now what I knew then, it wouldn't have been that big a deal. I'd have told Tony, oh, see you, bud. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> you know, I wanted to join in to, to help out, you know, my industry. You know, it, it's if my son is, he's nine years old, and he's already taken an interest in trucking, so... I, you know, if, if he decides that after college, of course, if he decides that he wants to drive a truck, I want to be able to look him in the eye and tell him that I did everything that I possibly could to make his life easier. Because I did that what we're supposed to do as parents, you know, I mean, is pave a better way for our, for our kids, you know. So that's, I want to leave a good industry for the future generations. So I wanted to be involved with it. And like I said, I, I got a hold of, of Tony and, and, uh, set up the parking situation there at the truck stop for the protest in October of 2017. Um, you know, I, I showed up and, and helped out with that. And somehow along the way, I got roped into being an admin on the on the ELD or me page. Um, then we decided to form Trucker Nation and uh, you know, make that as a more of a like page than an ELD, you know, more more of a like page rather than a forum page. And um, right. so I ended up having the job of, of PR for Trucker Nation, public relations. And that was that was a that was a handful. <laughs> but that was a good job. Yeah. You know, it really really enjoyed it. Um you know, it it just uh I ended up stepping away for personal reasons, you know, um I really I I felt like I couldn't quite be myself. Um and be a public relations guy at the same time. And I felt like I wasn't being true to myself by, by doing that. So, uh, you know, there's, as a public relations guy, I mean, you know, you're in the public, you know, there's, there's things that you can do and there's things that you absolutely cannot do. <laughs> and, you know, I don't want to have that restriction on me because I'm, I'm pretty wide open hundred percent all the time. So I didn't want to portray an image that, that I wasn't. Following the October D.C. events in 2017, Bushnell participated in the quote-unquote media blitz headed up by the Monday Information 
group. Uh, he was the state leader for the group that gathered in the Virginia capital. He was present then with his Peterbilt and the National Mall in October last year for That's a Big 10-4 on D.C. as well. That was, that, was a, that was a really good time. I didn't really have much involvement with the planning of that one. That was more USTA and, and Brian Brassy and, and Fred Bowerman and all them. And yeah, I had my truck out there, and I was representing Trucker Nation at that point in time, too. So um, this year I'll be one of the one of the planners for the 10-4 on DC 2.0. So I'll have a, a bit bit more of a role in, in this year's event. Well, that was that's been that's been an interesting event. Um, just uh, you know, the sort of attention that it, that it managed to get uh, uh, from uh, the trucking community, and I think probably some some of that um, has sort of fed into um, the, the sort of slowly growing uh, um, uh, interest around these kind of slow roll events that have been leading up to this uh, call for an April. Uh, shut down. How uh, how did you get involved in the Indianapolis one for that happened this past Thursday? It's been the biggest so far for sure. Um, seemed to be about 80 trucks or so. Um, a lot of bobtails, some some uh, tractor trailers too. Uh, how did you get involved in that one? And uh, you know, what was the experience like for you? Um, Amber Furry was uh, was putting it on. Was was kind of leading the way there, leading the charge. And uh, she is the, we call her the first lady of Chi-Town Large Cars. Uh, she is okay. the president's girlfriend. So um, she's basically the mom of the group. You know, what mama says goes. So when mama tells you to jump, you start jumping. <laughs> yeah, she uh, she told her, she asked me if I would be there. And um, I had already planned on, on going and participating. And, and uh, you know, I, I didn't really have much of, much of a, role of putting it on or anything it was more of a more of a participant role for me in, sure. in the in the indie so role but they had a couple reporters that that wanted to ride along with in the trucks uh and there was a guy from uh he, he did he was a reporter for a newspaper out in tokyo japan uh he, he had done some reporting on on some of the problems that they have in the trucking industry out there and he wanted to ride along so he uh brian brassy matched him up with me and uh, he came along and took some pictures and took some video and you know, rode with me through the through the whole slow roll, looping around Indy there two laps. Um, you know, we, we talked a bit, and I mean, he, he was he was really in tune with what was going on. It, I was it really it kind of surprised me. I had no clue what to expect having a reporter from Tokyo. I didn't I didn't even know if the guy spoke English when he showed up. I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but um, it turned out to be you know pretty cool. You know. He, he knew what was going on. He, he knew about the problems that we're facing in the industry, and he was 100% on our side with it, too. Kind of seemed like he was trying to drum up some uh, um, some support for, for Tokyo, almost, or trying to let yeah, Tokyo okay. know what we're doing in America. You know, it, it, was, it was pretty cool. Sure. Did you learn, did you get any, uh, get a feel for, you know, what, what the issue, or the are issues in in Japan uh, similar to what they are in the United States? I, uh, there's a lot, of course. Uh, it's, it's a lot. There's not a lot of long haul there, I wouldn't imagine. But uh, <laughs> um, uh, like, what issues are are they dealing with out? Uh, truckers dealing with out there? Uh, the big thing that he was telling me about was uh, the speed limiters. Um, okay. He said, you know, there's there's. Uh, he rode with a buddy of his who who's an owner operator out there. 
or what, what we would consider owner operators. Um, he sure. picks up fish from the ports and takes them over to the uh, from the fishing ports there and takes them up to the market. He said it's, it's roughly about a thousand kilometers, so it's you know about 650 miles. Uh, right. When you factor in all the traffic and the, the types of roads that they have to drive on, he said normally it's about a day and a half drive, but with the new new speed limiters that they have on there now, it's become you know a two-day drive and sometimes a, you know a little bit more than a two-day drive. Biggest problem is you know the fish isn't getting to the market as fresh as it used to. Yeah, it seems analogous to um, you know some of the same kinds of uh, issues that have arisen uh, now that uh, so many so many U.S. truckers are are dealing with um, you know hard constraints uh, in the in the hours rule that that uh, ELD is required. Uh, it's sort of right. lengthened some lengthened some transit times. Uh, the the tension on either end is becoming more of a factor in in and how the hours are recorded, and, and yeah, it's just tightening everything up a little bit, uh, make, making it making it more difficult to get from point A to point B in a timely fashion. Yeah, exactly. You know, with us, you know, without having that flexibility of, of being able to take a nap or whatnot, or you know, just uh, if they do, it try to impose the speed limiters like like I guess they're attempting to try to again. You know, that, that could, uh, could be kind of detrimental to our our perishable goods and. You know, like strawberries and grapes and, you know, the fruit and the meat. You know, all, basically the whole reefer division, you know, the reefer industry in, in, in America is going to be, uh, it's going to get interesting. i just put it that way. I don't want to make any predictions. I'm not Nostradamus, but it'll it'll definitely be interesting. You know, at some point in time, you know, at some point in time, you, you would imagine that, that things are going to relax a bit, you know. Well, the... Uh... And back to the, the Indianapolis event, it definitely uh, it's interesting that uh, that you had that report from Japan uh, uh, on the truck with you because I I've definitely seen uh, more coverage of this particular event than I've seen uh, uh, of any of the others. You know, not counting the what we've done in overdrive, but uh, this this one seems to really get the atten- attention of the local media there and a lot of other. Uh, outlets as well, um, and it seems to be rippling out into you know, the more national mainstream uh, news outlets uh, in a way that none of the other um, none of the other events really did. Um, what, what was the? Uh, do, do you know how much media was on hand for the, for the Indianapolis event? So I believe um, I'm pretty certain Amber said that they had spoken to 15 different reporters. Uh, leading up to the event, um, there were four news crews at the truck uh, truck stop, and there were two helicopters in the sky. Plus, we also had um, um, truck boss was there recording. They were riding along with uh, mm-hmm. Brian Hutchins, and they were doing a, a live, like a live video with Brian Hutchins as well for the entire. Yeah. I think it was hour and forty eight minutes or something like that. Um, and then uh, Jesse James Dupree. Who is the front man for Jackal, the band Jackal? He's also uh, out there at Full Throttle Saloon. Uh, he was doing a documentary on truckers, um, kind of like how the owner operators are like the last of the cowboys. Uh, so he was out there. Uh, he had his crew out there riding along with us, and, and uh, cool. uh, he was up there doing the media with, with Amber and Brian Brassy. Um, news channel, or the, I think it was uh, Channel 6 News 
one of the news crews ended up putting a, a cameraman into Rob Hallahan's truck, and he rode around with him for the two laps of the, of the, the slow roll. Um, so, I mean, we definitely had more um, news out there, you know, news media, like local news stations and whatnot that are taking an interest to it. Um, yeah. The biggest part that aggravated me was, was some of the, the industry publications, not Overdrive, but some of the other industry publications, instead of reporting on it, they just kind of reported the rumors that were being spewed on Facebook and social media. You know, we ended up with 78 trucks total at the truck stop staged up for the for the convoy. Indiana State Police said they ended up counting 125 trucks in participation yeah. total. Yep. Yep. Um, that's what that's what we yeah. heard from them. Yeah, they said it was more, a little more than probably a hundred. Probably seemed like uh, seemed like there were people that either joined in or um, you know appeared to have joined in. Yeah. yeah along the so way. We also had a um, I can't remember what his title is, but I guess basically the state police chief. I, somebody's going to give me a lot of crap for that one because I don't remember exactly what the title is. But the guy that's in charge <laughs> for the Indiana State Police. Uh, he called and he actually congratulated us and on a job well done and thanked us for for you know doing exactly what we said we were going to do and you know following the law and and be having a peaceful protest and um, like the guy had no pulse oh, wow. and they performed CPR on him and the the, the medics that arrived you know full on 100% gave credit to the to the uh, truck drivers' wives that that literally saved this guy's life. Yeah, that's the three biggest things that I focus on with all of this is the flexibility with the hours of service, the training of the, the new hires, and the safety aspect of it. You know, because nobody, nobody wants safer roads more than truck drivers do. And by being there at the right time at the right place, and that, that just showed that, you know, we're out here to try to, you know, keep everybody alive and going down the road. You know, we're not out here trying to, trying to, piss everybody off and you know kill a bunch of people like like the movies portrayed in the past speaking of the hours of service flexibility um i noticed that uh, there's some news today uh from a conference where ray martinez essentially for the first time publicly really did uh come down and come out and say that the, the fcsa is in fact working on a um, notice of proposed rulemaking around hours now some of us uh, others who've done more background on this and talked to folks on background, off the record, knew that that was going to, that was probably the case um, anyway. But uh, you know, it's a it's a first public uh, confirmation from him that I know of that yes, they they are moving forward with some changes. He didn't say what it was. He didn't say what the timeline would be. But uh, you know, there has been some uh, you know, there's some some notion there's notion out there that you know uh, the whole uh, call for a, a shutdown on April 12th. Uh, and possibly extending through the following week or however long uh, may may be uh, uh, you know it's kind of a do, calling for it sort of a pressure tactic on these guys to hurry up and get done uh, but then actually going through with it if they if they do issue that proposal is uh, sort of unneeded but I think we we were talking earlier you and I and, I, and it sounds to me like. Uh, you think that even even if that proposal comes out, uh, it's still worth uh, going through just to kind of uh, drive home a point. Is that uh, is that your thinking there, or what's the? Is it about more than hours? I guess. Is it, is it, 
I mean, like I said, it, it, for me, it's the three the three major things for me are are the flexibility, the um, the training, and the safety aspects of everything. And you know, you're getting one out of three. Well, that's all fine and good. But when you're when we're talking about changing hours of service, the last the last change took I think it was what ten years for it to change, for them to finally implement a change in the hours of service. Um, yeah, it was a long time. You know, <laughs> right. Yeah. So you know, this has been this was proposed last year. So if he can put if the FMCSA uh, can put a timeline on on it. I think that would help. That would give a shot of hope, like I was saying earlier. But you know, we're in a we're in a broken industry, man. I mean, it's it's plain as day to see to anybody that just pays attention. This industry is broken, and it's going to take a lot more than just hours of service flexibility to fix it. I mean, they've they've been doing a, a parking study for what uh, I think ten years now too. And right. what has that accomplished? You know, we're spending our taxpayer money on on a study that's being done. For to to give truck drivers better parking um, options, and yet states are closing down rest areas left and right. I mean, how backwards is that? Spending spending money on on research and getting no uh, no results. Right. You know, one one thing that they FMCSA talked a lot about was data. They needed data. They needed data for this. They needed data for that. They had to have some sort of tangible data in order to change regulations or change the rules well you've been doing this study since i think this study was part of map 21 was where they had to do the the study for i think it was jason's law i think um you you know and and you've been doing this study for 10 years now and so you have the data so why is it why are we still shutting down rest areas you know even if you're going to shut down the rest area why would you not leave the parking lot open so that way we have a safe haven to park at Right. It just—it doesn't make sense to me. Flex, hours flexibility, training, and uh, and safety, and I'd, I'd say parking is part of the safety aspect of that, in a fa- of fashion, right? Yeah, and to, to touch on the parking too, a, a lot of people argue that that the FMCSA has nothing to do with parking. Um, I, I, my personal opinion, I think the FMCSA could do something about parking. Obviously, they can't tell. A landowner that they have to open up their their land to truck drivers to park at. Right. I mean, it's obviously it's nothing like that. But if the FMCSA goes before Congress or Senate and says, "Hey, look, this is a problem in in this state, this state, this state, and this state. We need to figure out what we can do." That can at least open up the door for these state legislators to start figuring out what can be done, and maybe the states that are closing down rest areas left and right. Maybe it'll open up their eyes that maybe we shouldn't close down the rest areas, you know. So right. it, to kind of to kind of combat that everybody says that you know FMCSA can't do anything about parking, I beg to differ. I really believe that they can. They can at least get the yeah. ball rolling. They can certainly be an advocate for it. I mean, you know, the, the, under the DOT is the Federal Highway Administration. You know, that 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 is directly uh, related to infrastructure and. Funding for the states and and setting setting priorities and that's where all the all the, the big study work gets done uh, from from right. Jason's law and that and that stuff filters down to and gives resources uh, to the the local where where it all really happens which is the state and local regional uh, planning organizations and you know to a certain extent a lot of that stuff has been 
happening. But you know, it, it's I, you're right. It's not like something that people feel and see on a daily basis. And, and for most, I think it just it seems like it just continues to get worse. Like you said, the raspberries right. closing and uh, and everything else. I, so you, regardless of of what happens with the hours of service, you think that um, shutting down on the 12th and for however long is is um, is the right thing to do. Here's another question, though. I mean, will it have any real uh, material effect on anything? Do you think there's enough? Or do you think there's enough uh, support for actually doing this? Do you think people will actually follow through and do it uh, in enough numbers to? really make anybody notice anything? Uh, that seems to be a million dollar question. <laughs> you know, I mean it's I, I, I hope so. Um Okay. I don't I don't know. I, I like I said I'm I'm not Nostradamus. I don't want to predict anything. But I mean right. I hope so. I hope some good comes out of it. Um I don't I don't know man. And and I don't even know that shutting down is going to going to help the industry, you know, because uh, what is shutting down going to accomplish? You know, it, yeah, we'll have representatives there in D.C. talking to them, but there's there's no law or regulation that can be put into place overnight. We have a system yeah. of checks and balances to keep that from happening. You know, if 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 um if we could put laws and regulations into into effect overnight, then we'd be living in a dictatorship, and I I prefer democracy. So I mean I I understand that we definitely we definitely have some time that's gonna have to take place for things to get done, but it just seems like you know at this point the truck drivers don't really have a voice. You know, Trucker Nation and USDA they've been doing a very good job of standing up for us and and giving us a voice, but it's it's just it's not enough right now. You know it. When we can walk into a into the FMCSA, and the FMCSA can look at us and, and say, "Well, what do we need to fix?" and they can immediately start working on that, kind of like the way they do with the ATA right now. If we can get to that point, then I think we're doing something. That's when I think we'll start to see positive change. Yeah, and so this is a this is another stop on that uh, on the route toward toward that uh, in a certain way. Then, right. That's that's the way that that's what I'm thinking at least. I mean, yeah, you know, I could be 100% wrong, could be 100% right. I have no idea, but you know, at least the way that I look at it, going back to my kid, you know, if I can look at him dead square in the eye and say that I did everything that I could possibly do, then it was a good day for me. So I've at least got to try, you know. <laughs>